0: We should open some candy beforehand, if anyone plans on <laughs> candy.
1: Yeah, right. open them
0: all. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably a good idea. So anyway, the white album. The white <laughs> album. <laughs> the white noise album. <laughs> oh, oh, these are good.
2: All right. Probably not hands. as good as
1: the Skittles, right? Probably oh, the yeah, that'd be a pretty good maraca.
0: Let's see. Yeah. Skittles are going to be better, I think. Skittles. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, what about these? Actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. The skittle's got a good sound. Well,
3: are the are the Nights just raw in the box or are yeah. they in a bag? Raw in no, the box. No, these are in a bag.
1: That's my new album, Raw in a Box. I think <laughs> Allison Chains already That's released it. Ah. <laughs> Actually, it's Man in a Box, right? That's just a song. I man in a box. So
0: let's see. How, <laughs> that sounds how, like a, kid of a kid's with show. I am a man in a
3: box. <laughs> Buried in my shit. <laughs> Show me <laughs> out. <laughs>
1: matt this is tony and this is what did we miss the podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time
4: you did it what is
1: happening they're hijacking our podcast (laughs) we didn't even
3: finish our bit (laughs) oh i'm sorry what's the deal we have a routine here i know Uh, we have no there's no routine there's no routine no Uh, it's usually an awkward pause and one of us is like so how's it going yeah
1: exactly and then it's just like we cut that out And then we get to the things that we need to get to. And then sometimes we
3: don't. Sometimes we're like, wow, we only did that in four takes this time. Yeah. And we let it go to print.
1: Yeah. And sometimes we talk for like 20 minutes before we get to the subject. Yep.
3: Yeah. True story. Yep. Okay. That's it. So let's cut the foreplay and get right to it. Oh.
1: Yeah. So uh, what are we talking about today? We're talking about the Beatles. God damn it. The Beatles, Tony.
3: Full disclosure, (laughs) the hosts of this show are very familiar with the Beatles. Yeah. Uh yeah, really familiar, right? Uh you know, I I think the level of familiarity for me is not as intense as yours. Okay. Uh but Ooh, intense that sounds intimidating. <laughs> well, I'm um,
1: not going to live up to that.
3: You showed up with uh, a stack of hardbound Beatles books. Okay. Fair so, enough, uh, fair uh, enough. Yeah. yeah. In a little leather strap like Pinocchio.
1: Okay. Like a
3: 19th century school. And then I
1: have my collection of Beatles pets that I've named after the members of the band. Mm -hmm. Today, we're joined by JP and Steve of You Can Do It, Do It, a podcast where
4: you could do it, do it, do it. That's true. Yeah. 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 So our show is about people whose lives are transformed by trying something new. Mm -hmm. And we thought that, hey, we have kind of a similar vein with your show uh, in certain ways because you guys are always like checking out stuff that's new to you and trying to find delight in it and um we thought hey you know let's come to your house tonight and be on your podcast so that's why we're here
3: though technically we are at your house
4: yeah, yeah. it's a little weird technically but yeah, we, yeah. We, we, we figured it out
3: we made it was it an exchange of paperwork and documents were signed it is now technically <laughs> our home for the yeah, next that's true. two hours that's true i'm gonna yeah. do some i'm gonna do some shit to some walls i hope so They <laughs> could use a little paint like literal no, no, no. I like, just like knocked them down.
1: Oh, I, I wasn't was sure if you were going to like, you know, <laughs> paint with... Never mind. Mm-hmm. So we were guests on your show. Yes. Wonderful yeah. guests. And Quid pro thank quo. Thank you. And, um, Topical. Yeah. And I believe uh, during the episode, we actually, you know, posited to you or we asked you the question. We we're like, well, what are some of your pop culture blind spots? Mm-hmm. And I, I believe there was a pause. As you were thinking, and I said jokingly, "Oh, the Beatles." Yes, because they're yeah. probably well. They're, it's not probably they're one of they're, they're, they're Rolling the most.
4: Stones number one, <laughs> most influential rock band of all time.
1: And you guys were like, "Yeah, the Beatles," and we're like, "What?" And so we at in that mo- at that moment we were like, "Oh, you're coming on the show, and we're doing right. an episode on the Beatles."
4: Yeah, and and then we did it.
1: Yeah, you did it. (laughs) This is the epilogue. (laughs) It's a set. So so why don't we start off by, um, why don't you tell us about your familiarity with the band or lack thereof or, you know, how did you, why did you avoid them? Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. I'm just going to put it out bluntly. I want to hear, honestly, how you made it to the ages you are Just, and not like, because it's always struck me as music that never needed to be sought out. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of everywhere in a lot of things. So,
4: yeah. So this is Steve from you can do it, do it. You might've heard me on episodes of you can do it, do it with Steve and JP. No. uh, So for me, it was basically um, that my first introduction of the Beatles was in the, I think like late 1990s or mid-1990s, there were television ads for this product called the Beatles Anthology. Mm-hmm. And it would go through, you know, Saturday morning cartoons, I'd be watching, and then you, I'd be just interrupted with this long commercial about this band and this music. And my dad saying, oh, this is the most amazing band in the world. And he, every time this commercial would go on, it would be like, I, I should buy this, this. I should buy this, this Beatles Anthology. Um, so that was like my first introduction to the Beatles. So, so... Quick question. Yes.
1: If your dad said they're one of the most incredible bands ever, he, did he, did you grow up listening to me Do your parents play music?
4: No. The irony of it is we,
1: we <laughs> grew saw up in a it. Box. The irony is his
3: father is deaf. Yeah.
4: <laughs> we saw it on the television, but he never listened to the music. So I grew up in a, in a relatively conservative-ish Christian home. Um, so we listened to music. Uh, that Like three artists that I know from my childhood Actually, four, right? One, James Taylor. We listened to a lot of James Taylor. Two, Jewel was on repeat on my mom's stereo for whatever reason. Three, Kenny G. We had two Kenny G albums that were that were on repeat. And then four, probably one of the first albums that I remember owning is Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, so I didn't I didn't like grow up around much of the Beatles music. Except to say that like anything that I, you know, I, I didn't realize how much is actually in the culture until I did this challenge. And that's certainly something to come back to is like, you know, I have heard a lot more of the Beatles than I thought, but I haven't listened to as much of the Beatles uh, until this challenge as I would have.
1: When did you start discovering music on your own? Because I know you, that you... You like a lot of modern stuff.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say it was probably, it was probably in high school. I started playing drums um, and I was beginning to seek out, you know, different bands. And I think like the first band that I kind of discovered on my own was Death Cab for Cutie. And that became like... Which, do you know where that name came from? Yes, it came from uh, it came from a Beatles video. Yeah, oh, really? From yeah. that movie, which yeah. is wild, right? So there's it's so strange. There's yeah. all all these connections to this band um, that I didn't realize, you know, modern music had. Um, and every now and again, when I would hear a Beatles song, I would have this thought of like, eh, whatever, like the band I listen to, they're, they're, you know, it's kind of the same trick. It's, it's over. It's done. It's been done you know, I like this band, you know, this band has become like my little secret band that, that like I love. So like Death Cab for Cutie was kind of the, the first like entree into like this like pattern drumming style, you know, singer songwriter, but like with a full band behind them, good writing talent. Um, And that became kind of the foundation for learning about music, understanding music, and then kind of getting through that. So I'd I'd say I started developing my own musical taste in high school. and I listen to very similar bands to that still to this day. Good songwriting-led music, you know, and a lot of that just happens to be pop. I listen to a lot of, uh, you know, Taylor Swift, Jack Antonoff-written songs, Lord, right? Like, so I don't know. Like my my musical vocabulary kind of grew into this like heavily produced kind of pop, sort of fun music um, from you know indie sweetheart and darling, Death Cab for Cutie.
3: So, was there a particular Reason, or did you just never think to be like, oh, well, uh, you know, universally, this is considered one of the greatest pop and rock and roll bands of all time?
4: Yeah. So, my, uh, I dated a girl in college who actually bought me five CDs as a birthday present that I just never heard before, like sort of like quintessential history of music CDs, right? So, she got me Tommy by The Who, Blonde on Blonde by Bob Dylan, Pink Floyd Wish You Were Here, and uh, Led Zeppelin, I think number four, right, and uh, the fifth one I don't remember what it was. It might not have even been. Just the Beatles,
3: I think. I don't no, no,
4: and <laughs> maybe it was like a Coldplay CD or something. But
3: <laughs> uh, Huey Lewis and the News' is <laughs> sports album.
4: But um, you know, I I listened to those four albums religiously and loved it and ate it up. But like my my musical appetite, like I wasn't really looking for stuff that was new outside what I was listening to. I, I was really looking for like the artists that I already liked or the things that I would kind of discover here on the radio. I wanted to hear more of and would would go deep into those collections sure um, so I wasn't I wasn't diving back through the archives of a you know uh, a band in the 1960s that used to be popular right with another <laughs> generation right it's funny you say you yeah. used to because yeah. the
1: biggest selling vinyl of last year was Abbey Road right wow so, but you know this is my
4: perception right like sure that sure. music was then and I'm listening to music now
3: yeah cool JP yeah. same gauntlet of questions
4: yeah, I mean, I think uh,
0: there's some points of what Steve said that were the same for me. I, I grew up in a you know in a household where like when I was very young, we pretty much only listened to like Christian music mostly. Um, but then we, my brother started to experiment more. He, like he would listen to music from the '60s and '70s. My dad has actually always been a super huge Beatles fan. I didn't even know that until more recently, <laughs> honestly, because I like told him about this <laughs> place. He was like, "That playlist is amazing. Here's some songs I would add if you were going to do more." And I was like, "Wow, I should have talked to you about this." I was like, these guys are pretty good, uh, and he was like, "Oh my god, you're my son. What's wrong with you?" Um, but yeah, I mean, I when I was a kid, the only album from the Beatles I remember um, that my bro- brother played around me is I remember playing Doom and Killing Demons with Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club, Hearts Club Band playing behind me. But I don't really remember it at all. It was just kind of like it was like background noise because sure. that's not really. You are too focused
1: about. on the task at hand, which was yeah. mowing down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: mowing down the the agents of hell yeah um, that's a recent convert to yeah we did we did an doom. episode on doom oh on doom yeah. oh man yeah i was so into the fps it was a lot of fun of that era yeah. yeah so good you know my i once i started to like develop my own taste in music i was around like 13 or 14 and i really just liked like heavy darker music and so to me like the beatles was like nothing it was like you know a kid who had like a ton of candy and like you gave him an apple and it was like eating paper, you know, it was just like, I like, I, I have no interest in this. Like this is too tame. And so, uh, yeah, I basically just excluded any lighter music from my life for like the better part of a decade, honestly, up until probably my early twenties. Um, but then similar to Steve, uh, the beatles was a thing of the past like early music was just not something i was interested in even within genres that i liked so like you know i was really into metal and early like thrash metal bands early death metal bands like i just didn't care for them because i was like well the band's doing it now they're kind of yeah they're kind of doing the same thing but like they're more technically apt and you know they have better singers and the the composition of the songs are better because a lot of the early ones were very raw from some of the bands and you could argue that point in different directions but i just i never i never really looked backward And by the time I started to get into music that wasn't heavy, uh, I just didn't care. Like it just didn't matter to me. You know, like it would people would talk about it. It would be in movies. It was kind of like, yeah, all right, that's fine. I'd hear it. I'd be like, that's fine. It's a fine song. But like it was almost like I had this filter in my head of like, the Beatles just don't matter to me. And so uh, that's what's sort of interesting about having done the show is like once I started listening to it and actually digesting it. I realized I, I started to like dissect it and hear all these different elements and hear all these different aspects from different songs. Uh, but yeah, I just I kind of just ignored them instinctually because of what I liked and because it just didn't fit into what I cared about. <clears throat> Most of the people I knew and who had similar tastes in music also just like did not care about this stuff. Like yeah. To like this type of stuff, to like anything light was like, why, why were you wasting your time?
4: Nobody so. ever said I, probably to either of us, hey. You know, you love this band and this band and this band. You know who you would absolutely love? You would absolutely love the Beatles. Like no one our age yeah. ever came to us and said, hey, the Beatles are a great band. You should really give them a listen and, and hear like three songs that you're, are just going to blow your mind.
3: Yeah, it was probably never framed as an if-then statement and more of a what do you mean you don't like the Beatles, right. which is yeah, immediately off-putting. You're like, fuck you. I'm not going to like the Beatles on principle now. Yeah. It's simple in to put sense, up a wall. That yeah.
0: Way. Right. Like you're <clears throat> like, Oh, you should listen to the Beatles because like, because the band that you like exists because of the Beatles, I, it would, that would be off putting to yeah. me, especially at that time. Sure. But I, I think even my dad, like he would hear some of the music I was listening to. And he was like, these are like such simple songs in comparison to the complexity of Beatles songs. I seem to remember him saying things along those lines and I just, it was, it didn't mean anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially when your dad tells you. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, I love my dad, but like uh, this, the music I was into is like, yeah, you don't, I don't think you get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: so this aversion to older music, yeah. aside yeah. from this episode, is that something that's still for me? Lingers? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, is there any reason? No, I mean like other I, than what you just stated, obviously. I
4: love like old jazz standards, right? Sure. Like I, I go back and listen to Giant Steps, like yeah, probably you know at least three or four times a month right Um it's not necessarily like in aversion to old it's just um at least anymore it's just it's not on my mind to do right like I'm not thinking actively you know when I'm looking for new music quote-unquote I'm not looking for new old music or new music right, to me sure. I'm I'm actually looking for new music
1: so one thing that I could say uh, that that works for me is w- when you 're keeping up to date with a lot of modern stuff, mm. whether it 's music or movies or or anything I think it 's easy to see patterns right especially if you 're following things day to day week to week, month to month, mm. and you look back at a year and you could see patterns within music and all that uh, and and narratives um, whether it 's how things are being filmed or storytelling, things being repeated. And I think for me, what's really exciting is when you look back at something that's older and it's oftentimes removed from the context of its time, it's easy to see it as something new mm-hmm. and something for me that is harder to wrap my head around. And I love that Yeah, because it's a challenge and it's exciting because it helps me to kind of look for that context. Uh, and so it feels fresher to me. Because it's easy to get wrapped up in, like again, like, oh, here's the latest releases this week. And like, okay, this sounds like the thing that came out last week. Or right. here's the latest big-budget movie. And okay, the visual effects are all the same. And the coloring is all the same. And oh, spaceship crash into another building. Okay, that's a trend I'm seeing a lot in these big-budget movies. I wonder where that came from. Mm-hmm. But when you go back...
0: It wasn't the Beatles, was it? It was. <laughs> oh,
1: God. Um, so, so for me, it's always exciting when I watch older movies or listen to older music and I I try and figure it out I try to piece it together and it feels fresh and new
3: yeah it starts to become like a a chicken-and-the-egg logic puzzle you know at what point was this psychedelic stuff happening because of the Beatles or they were just Mm. aware of what was about to sort of take hold of culture at the time Mm.
1: yeah and I'm such a process guy I I I want to know how everything is made, and oftentimes that means I want to know what everyone's influence is. So when someone says this was my influence, I'm not instinctively saying like, "Well, that's dumb." I mm. want to know, so mm. I go back. Sure. And so often, even with so much modern stuff, it's it goes back to the Beatles, whether it's Taylor Swift or Tame Impala, right? Where he kind of sounds like Lennon. Yeah. Uh, so so before we go and start digging into the playlist, Tony, I want to know about. You know your relationship with the Beatles actually just
0: let me just cut in one thing real quick sure sure I want to uh, Qualify what I said, so I said like I'm still averse to older music. I shouldn't say anymore I'm actually averse to it like I'm not against it Like you know when I was in my metal days and stuff. I was like everything else sucks metal's great Um, I like all music now. However, I still just kind of go I don't (laughs) I don't necessarily care that much about listening to old stuff So if someone presented it to me, I'd be sure I'll, I'll listen to that and doing this was a good exercise in that but a lot of times outside of what I've heard from the Beatles, there's a lot of older music or uh, not necessarily movies, but probably music that I've heard and said, I get how this influences a lot of newer stuff, but because I've heard the newer versions of it, it it's just a little paler in comparison. But I think the Beatles actually holds up in a very different way to that, which which I'll get into. When Do we'll
4: you have Do it. you have a
1: good example of that? Or?
4: Annie, uh, Hall. Annie Hall. Annie Hall. Annie Hall. Like uh, the Woody Allen movie, one of mm, the, yeah. the earliest romantic comedies. Sure. It's like if you've seen... Right. If you've seen You've Got Male, Sleepless in Seattle, yeah, huh. uh, what is it? How to Lose a Guy no in 10 Days, 51st Dates.
3: It's <laughs> over. We're not going to talk about the Beatles now <laughs> we're going to get stuck on Woody fucking no. Allen. No, we're but, not going <laughs> to talk about Woody Allen. But, I don't yeah. want
1: to talk about Woody Allen. But I do, I really disagree. Like, I think that Annie Hall is far superior to you. But got it's,
4: 100, it's 100%. It's, but yeah. if you've seen other romantic comedies, sure. when you go back to Annie Hall, it Loose feels like crunch. you've seen it. Exactly. Every, uh,
0: everything you go yeah. back to feels like you've already heard it or seen it, so it's harder for it to happen. I think if I went back in time and saw it and forgot about all the stuff and then I saw all the new things, I'd be like, wow, this stuff is just Annie
4: Hall. But it's it's hard to, to pull When it you go reverse, it's like, wow, Annie Hall feels meh. Yeah. But for
1: me, long-lasting art are things that you watch. When you watch them, again, it feels fresh every time. Right. And it doesn't matter how many things are influenced by it because I think, you know what you're talking about is this finite rubric where there's going to be a point where th- things are new that you're not going to listen to, and it's just this window that you're listening to. Uh, and and for me, it's all about that exploration. So I want to keep mm. listening to mus- new music. I want to keep up with those things, but I also want to know where it came from, and I want to enjoy the old things. Mm. Uh, and and we've talked about this a lot on our show, and sometimes it's just about that context. Yeah. Like, you need that connecting piece.
3: Yeah, I think, I think, you know, the... The exemplary examples of anything, whether it's a type of music or a f- genre of film, is always going to feel elevated, uh, opposed, you know, compared to the imitators that followed it. Um, you know, a lot of uh, mid to late '60s rock feels like mid to late '60s rock, mm-hmm. but a Beatles song is a Beatles song. Jimi yep. Hendrix is Jimi Hendrix. You know, Black Sabbath is Black Sabbath. They sort of exist unto themselves and feel timeless in a way and I hate to keep going back to Annie Hall but like Annie Hall feels singular yeah. you know it, uh, it, it, it's, it clearly feels like the sort of uh, uh, you know patient zero of rom-coms as opposed to just like oh it's just an old rom-com right That's sort of where I come from when I think
1: about it sure and at some point too like like, okay, yeah, oh, well, why would I need to see this because of these new things? But at the same time, Annie Hall had its influences. Mm-hmm. Like, he was influenced by the Marx Brothers and Bergman, you know, which is a strange combination, and and screwball comedies from the 30s and 40s. So, like, you go back to those and be like, well, then are those obsolete, and are these obsolete? So then Sleepless in Seattle is obsolete because mm-hmm. there's things coming out now. And I don't know if that's a good way to look at the world, you know? Yeah, I mean, I... I- I
0: definitely am not proposing it is a good way to look at the world. It's just a difficulty that we Steve and I seem to share at least with some things that when we go back to that you see It's like you can guess everything that's gonna happen because you've seen it in everything else So right. it's it's hard to experience it the same way when because it was this the synthesizer for everything How do you how do you detach it from that? How do you sure. go like I, I mean you can watch it and be like I I see the qualities in this I see how much superior this is to these other movies but I, I guess the whole movie, because every other movie copied it.
3: Yeah, and that's it. Took effort, you know, for me personally. There was certainly yes. a stretch where, yeah, um, uh, I was like, I don't, I don't get why this is supposed to be such a big deal. And then, you know, years later, kind of go back to it, knowing, okay, I didn't like it on that first try. I also know a lot more about myself at that age now that I'm the age I am. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try it again. Oh, okay, I can separate myself from. You know the the pressure of being like, oh, this is the most amazing example of blank, mm-hmm. uh, and really be able to watch it more objectively yeah. or listen to it more objectively. But um, I'm not dissimilar from the two of you um, in a lot of ways when it comes to m- music in particular. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah. yeah, I have a hard time. I think you know, not to go back to metal again because it was just what I was into for a long time. But a lot of like the early influences of metal, I just don't. I just can't listen to them. I mean, Sabbath is a little bit different. I mean, they're also just kind of they exist outside the spectrum of a lot of metal that exists today, I think, but
1: that could also partly be because a lot of, you know, the burgeoning early days of metal was during this phase of, of the drastic change of, of tech recording technology. And a yeah. lot of those early metal records are anemic compared to what they're capable definitely, of, definitely of now. Definitely. You know, yeah. But at the same time, sometimes that short changes performance, uh, or, or craftsmanship. So um. It's not always fair to say like, well, you were just a product of this, this time period mm. because, you know, again, like you listen to like a Nina Simone performance, mm. like it's, it's so distinctive. Yeah. Uh, and so like, I think sometimes that those are the things that to help you get th- through those over those barriers, maybe
4: mm-hmm. uh, just, just to kind of put an end cap on this. Like the, the thing that I heard, you know, pretty much across the board was it, if you're just going to look at something in terms of casual consumption and not looking at it through the lens of intent and caring and desire to actually see, mm. right? Like looking to actually see is, is the most important part of observing any, you know, older thing, right, that you might have overlooked. There's, a, there's an attitude and there needs to kind of be a shift yeah. when, when looking at it that's different from like, hey, I'm just going to watch Annie Hall. No, you really need to pay attention, and you'll notice things that will be different and stand out to you if you had just, you know, uh, you know, if you had only just watched it.
3: Sure, and not so. even to be pretentious about it, yeah. it's it's um, really minimal effort to go from passively engaging with art <laughs> to actively engaging yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, and you know, for for me, um, there was not a lot of example set for actively engaging with art. It was a lot of passive intake. Do you want to talk
1: about your history with the Beatles? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, uh, it turns out that Ringo's my dad. Okay. <laughs> um, Finally. Yeah. Here we go. You, had to be you guys look dad. a lot
4: alike. Oh, come on. <laughs> he was the cute one. Was he the ugly one?
3: What I would... Oh, jeez. Oh, we're on... We're, we're. He's the cute
0: one. Was he the ugly no, one?
1: I no. Think, I think Paul <laughs> was the cute one. John was the... Paul was the cute one. John was the asshole. <laughs> John was the, the smart one or the thoughtful one. No, no. Uh, George was the thoughtful one. Yes, yes. Ringo was the goofball. Mm-hmm. He was the... Yeah. Ringo was the improviser yeah. of, of the Beatles. Oh, there you go.
3: Yeah, he was the one who really improvised the most Bam, in the songs. It. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the other three did not say yes and to him as much as he would have yeah. liked. Okay. Uh, yeah, for me, um, not too dissimilar from Steve. The Beatles anthology was a big tv event that really was the first time i was i guess actively aware um so did you ever end up did you end up watching the beatles anthology no no i did not um so that was it was something that my family and i sat down to uh what was it on like once a week for five or six weeks or something Mm -hmm. wait
4: this actually it actually aired like on television it was a big documentary i thought it was just a box set
3: uh no and then then, yeah that was was very confusing because um my parents were very excited. We all watched it as a family. One, uh, I mentioned this in a recent episode. One of four tapes that my dad kept in his truck was Abbey Road. Um, so I listened to that a lot. Um, there was a Sgt. Pepper tape kicking around. I got one of the anthology sets. It's all B-sides and weird like interview clips. and It's not something a, a little kid in the late 90s is going to have an easy time engaging with. It's a tough entry point. On the flip side, I remember there were kids who like their heads exploded. They became Beatles fanatics to the point where there was this one girl in my class whose favorite Beatle was the uh, Pete Best. Was he like the, the fifth <laughs> one who was kicked out? He and, was the original. Yeah, shemp. sure. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. He was yeah. a shemp. Um, <laughs> but like what? Like what kid in 1998 has that opinion? Uh, the asshole so, kid. Yeah, yeah. Probably. <laughs> um, so they're they're always around. Um, I have very fond memories of. Um, driving up to new hampshire with my dad <clears throat> listening to abbey road and uh, this was like a rare instance of him talking about art in like an active way he's like oh when just wait when when the tape flips over it gets it gets really neat hmm. and the tape flips over it's like he's like there's no gaps in between the songs it's all one big piece and it all comes together and hmm. um and then you know he's like let's all right let's put on that shitty eagles tape i got next so i was like let's do more of that so then i would come and go and have phases of being more or less interested in the beatles Mm -hmm. i think because they are so ubiquitous um you know you want to see if that's if that's earned and on the other hand sometimes like I, i can go without listening to the beatles for the next couple of years i think um and that was really it. I mean, there is some stuff we're going to talk about on this playlist we put together for you guys that I had never really spent a lot of time with. Mm-hmm. Probably Abbey Road, Let It Be, White Album, Sgt. Pepper, um, Hard Day's Night to an extent. But, you know, I probably couldn't tell you what's on Rubber Soul. I know I've listened to it, but that's sort of uh, the extent of my... I don't really have an encyclopedic knowledge of the Beatles. Mm-hmm. I have a certain appreciation that ebbs and flows. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the same time, they are the Beatles and it's to be respected, I guess.
0: Yeah. A younger me would have said nothing has to be
3: respected. <laughs> and so would I to yeah. be honest, Matt, what about yeah. you?
1: Yeah. So for me, I, I grew up with it. Um, and, uh, I lived with my uncles till I was seven. Uh, my uncles and my grandparents and, um, and all of my uncles loved the Beatles. They, I grew up with a lot of classic rock. And then when my mom got married and I moved in with my stepdad, um, he was also really into classic rock. Mostly Pink Floyd, um, yes, uh, and the Beatles. He loved the Beatles. Mm. And so when I got to be a certain age, I rejected it. Mm. I was just like, nope, none of this stuff is, is for me. I need to carve out my own path. Uh, so I was listening to a lot of punk rock a lot of heavier stuff mm-hmm. like you jp
3: are you and, familiar with his earlier heavier work jp's yeah
1: yeah
0: um <laughs> i was 20 pounds heavier so, so. 20
1: <laughs> 25 actually i eventually came back to it on my own so I, I made that choice because i started listening to a lot of um you know late 90s kind of independent indie rock stuff like sonic youth and sebado uh tortoise mm-hmm. uh, Portis Head, and uh, I don't know, you name it. I was probably listening to it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a lot of those bands were just reference the Beatles. Um, and, and you know, Radiohead's a big band for me too, and they, they would reference the Beatles as well. So, and I think for me with Radiohead is, what I learned about a lot of great music is that they may be influenced by it, but you don't always hear those influences. Mm-hmm. I think David Bowie's a perfect example of this. If you ever read any interviews with David Bowie, he's always talking about the things he's loved. And it's just so, it's so voluminous. <laughs> and, and, and it seems endless, the amount of music he listened to and collected. Uh, and he's like, oh, this song was influenced by this. And it's hard to hear those things, but you kind of see where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like a lot of great music was informed by everything. You just, you steal, but you kind of do it poorly yeah Mm -hmm. or you put your own personality on it so i think at that point i was like well you know i wanted to write songs too so i felt that the beatles were essential in learning a lot of building blocks Mm -hmm. so i went back and and i i bought like pretty much all their you know from rubber soul on uh and i got obsessed pretty quickly Mm uh and so i've re. I've purchased all of their records multiple times. Not the super, super early stuff. Uh, I have those digitally and that's fine now. Everything else I've, I've purchased multiple times, multiple CDs, multiple records, um, whether it's remasters. I was going to say, is there something different about them? Uh, and, and when I was younger, I started collecting vinyl because it was an easy way to get older music cheap. Yeah. Mm. Because, uh, you know, pink, uh, the, the white album on CD is like 40, 40 bucks, hmm. but I could get an old copy of it at like Salvation Army for like four bucks. Hmm. Uh, so I used to do those kind of like making the circles, looking for the older stuff. So <laughs> that's why I also have multiple copies of Beatles stuff. Cause I've been given Beatles records. I've purchased Beatles records and then I purchased remasters of the, the records. So they're a band that, uh, you know, once you acquire or amass a large collection of music they're a band that just comes and goes mm-hmm. uh and i love that because every time i listen to them it feels it's exciting because i i forget how great it is and uh how essential it is i think to everything else that come came after it when they have such
0: a i mean i, I didn't even realize how many songs they had i think it was like what 213 songs that they've something made. like that uh and so even if, I, could, I would imagine that even if you were influenced by the Beatles, you're like, wow, everything I've done, I've been so influenced by the Beatles, I've listened to so much of it. It might take you a while to even find the music that, that it stems from, if it stems from it at all. Like you said, like when you listen to enough music, like you can kind of synthesize, you can make something of your own out of it. So it's difficult to find the exact root. But if you have 213 songs to pull from, you might not even have listened to the song that they really were influenced by in a while. So it's like not top of mind, you know, if you have that. Like you said, like the luminous of a library it's, it's kind of incredible
3: The bands that were inspired by Helter Skelter Are not the bands that were inspired by Yesterday Are not right. the bands that were inspired by I don't know, fucking Octopus's Garden You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it really Even uh, You take the, the The sheer number of songs And move that aside And just, you can count the genres within that
0: Right, It's crazy yeah, I remember I even just listening through this small subset of songs several times, I was kind of like, I feel like entire genres were built off of this piece of this song. Yeah. You know, it was like somebody heard it and they were like, oh my God, this is what I, I love all of this, but I want this piece all the time. I'm going to make that. Yeah. You know, so it's. Yeah.
1: I think the other thing, too, is like if you look at the 60s as a whole, you know, whether it's music or, or culturally. It, it was a time of massive change, mm-hmm. and from the mm-hmm. beginning to the end, like it feels like a, a greater span of time had passed than it actually did, yeah. uh, and and you could chart that in their music because you know they were a band from the beginning of the '60s, and at 1970 they were no longer a band, yeah. uh, so all that music is done in that time frame, and it changed so so much mm-hmm. to reflect the time. Uh, so it's an easy signpost for the 60s in a lot of ways too because you could see all those elements and where the 70s was going. Uh, it's all right there in that band and I think that's pretty exciting. And if you wanted to learn more about the 60s, you could dive off from any one of their albums or songs. And in, and you mentioned Helter Skelter hmm. and that was just Paul McCartney reading an article saying how The Who was the noisiest band and the loudest band. He's like, I could do that. And so he's like, I'm going to one-up them. And he wrote Helter Skelter. So, like, uh, all these bands were sort of informing each other in a lot of ways, too. And even the Stones, they were just like, oh, we're going to do what you're doing, but we're going to do it in just, you know, we're going to do it with a little more balls.
3: Yeah, we're going to be a little more debauched. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, um, I don't know. I I find that kind of interesting, too, uh, especially because the 60s were an interesting time. Any decade, if you look back from where we are now, it's... It's fascinating to see the parallels and, mm. and, uh, yeah. Um, but so for the purpose of this episode, um, you know, because there is so much music, we basically assign you four albums, uh, and you know, maybe that's a small window into the Beatles. Um, but we picked a few that felt like a, a good cross section of everything that they did.
3: Yeah. You want to speak to maybe what we avoided and why? Sure
1: uh, I actually So uh, I did ask a number of friends That are, are Big Beatles fans What they thought And a, a bunch of people Had a, An opinion On which four We should choose And we decided to do four Because um, We've done something like that In the past I think
3: And to clarify We didn't, we didn't ask you to listen To four albums repeatedly We, we did yeah, You learned your lesson From your queen episode Yeah I mean, We <laughs> yeah. did it to ourselves But we, uh, we made a playlist Based off of four albums Yeah With a bit of a cheat but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we, we wanted to start with something that was ev- evocative of their earlier poppier era, but was uh, after they had really started emerging as songwriters in their own right. Mm. Um, there are a couple of albums that come with a lot of uh, baggage and history, uh, just in terms of uh, hype um, or just sheer size. Um, So things like uh, Sgt. Pepper and the White Album, we avoided just because of uh, the stuff that came along with them.
1: Yeah. Everyone we asked unanimously said Revolver and Abbey Road. Hmm. Everyone did, And and Tony and I had already agreed on Revolver and Abbey Road. Mm -hmm. Um, So those were automatically included. Everyone had a different opinion about the early record to include. Mm. And everyone had a different opinion about which later record or middle psychedelic we should include. Some people were like, "No, the white album is important and you should include the white album." But how do you pick
3: 2 or 3 songs off yeah, the white album? Yeah,
1: so that's right? why we ended up not, we could have just done an episode on the white album to be honest because Yeah, I was wondering
0: why you hadn't cuz I, I mean that's literally the one that like I knew off the top of my head the yeah. name
1: of. It's just what, so, I mean, so that's not even the name, but It's yeah. just so sprawling. Yeah. Uh, it's it's overwhelming, it's yeah.
3: messy. Yeah, it's a, it's it's really an example of their four personalities kind of clashing while working yeah. together at mm. the same time.
1: I mean, and, and I want to clarify the mess part, too, because I love that. I, that's what I love about it. Mm. Uh, uh, it is a strange rec- record to wrap your head around, but it's hard to talk about because of that. Um, and same thing with Sgt. Pepper. It's just this album that has been talked about obsessively so much, and we did have some people say, like, no, you really should include Sgt. Pepper. I, I,
3: went, I'm, I went to bat for it briefly. Yeah.
1: And I think what I wanted to do, um, I just thought it would be tough to talk about it. It's tough to talk about any about this because we're not going to have anything new to say. But really, ultimately, the goal of this is to hopefully introduce you to the band and Mm. and hopefully get you excited about them uh, going forward. Um, So I felt, and personally, um, I prefer Magical Mystery Tour to Sgt. Pepper Mm. And now I say this with the caveat being that I love Sgt. Pepper. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's irrelevant, I guess, at the end of the day. But w- so we cheated for our playlist and we did add A Day in the Life, which is the last track from Sgt. Pepper. I was like, did I add that? <laughs> like, did I just like, <laughs> yeah. go wrong? Um, and so for our early record, um, we ended up with A Hard Day's Night, which is their third record. And it's the first album where it's all of their songs, where they, where they wrote all their songs. <laughs>
3: It's the first CD I ever owned. Hard Day's Night. Mm-hmm. Really? Really? Have you ever seen the movie? Yes. Uh, it's been a very long time, but it's great. Yeah.
1: Help is great too.
4: Now is there is there a movie for most Beatles albums?
1: No. Um, just, just some. Uh, there's Help and and um, and Hard Day's Night, and then there was an animated movie where uh, they took Yellow Submarine and then they kind of expanded that for like a soundtrack record. So it's not like a full full record. And then Magical Mystery Tour was conceived as like this sort of it's like um, a TV movie. It's like a TV movie kind of thing, which I huh. think people aren't crazy about. I've actually never seen it. Uh, and and Let It Be was just documented, so um, the the recording of it, um, because it was like this. It was host, it was, it was supposed to be this whole thing, you know, with the song Get Back, where they were getting back to their roots. They're playing as a, a band, hmm. uh, so they documented it. That's worth watching because it's, it's insane hmm. because you can hear like there's moments where it's like Lennon and McCartney are making fun of Harrison and stuff like that and, but it's a, a fascinating document of that time and, and of a making of an interesting record but there's no white album movie
3: no mm. no <laughs> <It'd be> weird
1: <laughs> so another disclaimer before we get into the songs now I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening are Beatles fans we're not making the claim here that these are the best songs from these records. Nope. We wanted to do something that was a little distinctive. So you will hear songs that are super familiar with a lot of people and are super popular, but you'll probably hear some songs and question why we included them. <laughs> Cause they're maybe a little bit more, um I don't know, on the fringe of the record, maybe.
3: Sure. Maybe um uh lower tier examples of um some of their uh, A-list material. Sure. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And it's not like we wanted to avoid all the singles because each song has, each record has a song that is probably, I don't know, on some people are familiar with through television or mm. some mass media kind of crossover or whatever. Um, so, you know, we we wanted to do something that interested us uh, and gave us a, a a different way of talking about these records.
0: It felt in a way, I think we we talked about it after we both listened to it like once or twice. It was kind of like, I feel like they're trying to challenge us. Yes. <laughs> like they're trying to give us the Beatles songs that you would not go to and just say like, oh, this just flows over me and I can just consume it. You actually have to, some of these songs, my initial listens, I like had to, to like really dig into because when I just listened to them, Absent mindedly doing something else, they just felt noisy until I started to actually like I sat, not necessarily sat down and listened, or I'm like driving and like kind of like focusing on them while I'm driving. Like I started to digest them more and enjoy them more, but the initial runs of them,
1: it felt like you were messing with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I mean, uh, if you've listened to our show, you've probably gotten, um, Notice that I gravitate towards that type of music Mm. Uh, stuff that maybe is oftentimes intentionally alienating or a little more difficult Um, And maybe you got that from the beginning of this conversation where uh, I talked about how I like older things because sometimes it's hard for me to wrap my head around Mm. so uh, That being said, you know, there's a lot of these songs still have a lot of hooks even when they get really Definitely. really weird. Yeah. Uh so I'm not going to say like, you know, the Beatles got weird, but they're not. Yeah, they're still relatively safe. Yeah, exactly. So, I think that's what makes them great is that they were capable of doing both. It's difficult to be an experimental band and a band that pushes things forward and be accessible and sell millions of records. I think that combination doesn't exist together very very
3: often there is enough of it for everybody that even if there were one or two songs that somebody skipped every time they listen to a record didn't matter they could still call it, they could still say, oh this is my favorite record of all time well, yeah about these two songs i don't listen to those but the rest of it changed my life
1: great yeah you don't need to listen to revolution number nine no um and not enjoy um while my guitar gently weeps mm-hmm. first record hard day's night came out in July 10th, 1964. It's their third record. Uh, and again, like this is their first one that was, all the songs were written by them. The first song that we chose was And I Love Her. And this is written by Paul McCartney.
5: I give All
1: right, what'd you think of that one? Uh, I'm gonna look
0: at my journal entry, um, what I felt in my heart at the time of the song. Um, uh, No, I, I personally, I... So I think these. I don't want to jump ahead for the tracks, but I think these first two tracks for me were definitely the ones that I listened to and said, "Okay, this is the Beatles." I thought of before sure. uh, yeah. I did this episode. You know, it this, this was what I expected to a certain extent. Listening to it more deeply, you know, having like the, the bongos and the claves in it uh, was interesting to me. I I wouldn't have expected that in a song from that time period. Um, but it's all
1: over the whole record. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um,
0: but it, it ultimately, I, I enjoyed it. But especially after multiple listens of the playlist, it, it became the song that I kind of wanted to skip over to get to some of the other
3: later work. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I mentioned earlier that this was my first CD. Hmm. I didn't listen to it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, I got it probably. Um, uh, it was probably like twelve or so, or whenever the Beatles anthology came out. Um, and yeah, I, I think I, I wanted something more evocative of some of the later stuff we're going to talk about. Yeah. But yeah, this, at that time, yeah, it just wasn't clicking for me. Mm. So I, I can understand that for sure. Do you like it now, Tony? Yeah, I like this song a lot.
1: Yeah, me too. I, I think it's um, indicative of, of what McCartney was capable of. Yeah. Um, 'Cause it has this beautiful melody and because mm-hmm. a lot of times when, when people talk about Paul, it's always like, well, you know, his his songs are the goofier ones, they're the the fun ones and but he was capable of these really kind of you know, they're ballads. Um uh, mm. kind of mid tempo, uh minor key, and uh with these great melodies on top. Um uh, so I you know, we could have chose Hard Days Night, which is a great song.
3: I mean, if only for the uh, incredibly iconic opening chord Yeah You know It's so great
1: Yeah And the rest of this record Also has a lot of um, um, George Harrison On the 12 string Rickenbacker Because they were Sort of emulating The birds uh, In a lot of What they were doing And obviously the birds Kind of were influenced By the Beatles And you know Then the birds started Getting a little more eclectic And a little weirder as well So They were all influencing Each other
4: Yeah I really like this song Um, I listening to it initially, right? So I I listened to this playlist probably 20 or so times, right over the past, maybe six weeks. And initially it was one of those similar moments of like, Oh, you know, I've heard this before, but the more I listened to it and saw the lyrics written out, the more I kept thinking, this is an impossible song to write. Right? it is so straightforward and it is so simple and so distilled that the, you you have to be an expert songwriter to actually get to this level of kind of simplistic like simplistic sophistication yeah yeah right word like, word economy this yeah it's just distilled like the first okay so the first verse I give her all my love that's all I do and if you saw my love you'd love her too I love her it's so simple and straightforward and impossible that this is a lyric. It it just it should not work and it does. And the whole song's like that. Every single verse is just so like there's there's maybe twenty words a verse.
3: I mean, it works because of the delivery. Yeah, yeah. And you it's know, so there's sweet. that. Uh, you know, uh, it's used as an insult to say like you know, hard on your sleeve, but I mean the <laughs> earnestness yeah. doesn't feel cheesy or unearned.
1: Yeah, and, and and the way he modulates for the that little guitar solo which is mm. kind of uh, again just uh repeating the melody um is kind of surprising. Uh but it's 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 really quite lovely. Um yeah, I I think it's just a, a an unassuming song that you can easily overlook, but when you really listen to it 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 is uh it's charming. The next one we chose from A Hard Day's Night is Things We Said Today
5: you say you will love me if i have to go you'll be thinking of me somehow i will know someday when i'm lonely wishing you weren't so far away you be mine, girl, till the end of time these days such a kind girl,
2: seems so hard
4: to find. this is such a, a radical departure from the other song kind mm-hmm. of stylistically like it it is so it is and it's not right like it's got this like western vibe but the other song kind of feels like it it matured into this song yeah but like they started with an idea on the other one and said what can we do to this to like to bring it up a little bit like and i i I don't know where on the album it sits versus the other song but on our playlist it's the very next one and it felt like that other song was like a a breath out and this is like a a big breath in um and like they're sort of like they're prepping for something
1: sure Um, i'll be honest i didn't like when we Came up with this, we really just kind of went chronologically. Yeah. So we weren't really thinking about it in terms of like a playlist yeah. as far as like, oh, this is a great starting song. Cause I don't think I would start any album with I and I love her mm-hmm. as much as I like that song. But it is interesting going from and I love her into this.
0: You weren't intentional about the Sgt. Pepper song at the end of the playlist. That felt very intentional.
3: uh Well, I mean, that's the way that album ends. So it makes sense. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, because we threw that song in as a bonus, it was just like, "Well, it's the last one, so mm. whatever." I so yes and no, I mm. suppose. Yeah, I mean, for me,
0: for this song, I, <laughs> I, I really enjoy the later songs. I want to preface by saying <laughs> that, but these both of these songs, uh, this one actually, in particular, to me, again, felt probably felt the most expected. I almost like actually thought, and I know this will probably make some people mad. I thought of the movie that that thing you do. Um, and I know that movie's like very like it just pulls so many things from the Beatles, so it's like it, it makes sense because I I saw that movie and I didn't really listen to the Beatles.
3: I know you said that thing you do, but I I'm heard, sorry, I heard ten things I hate about you. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, <"Wow."> Heath Fletcher <laughs> uh, timing up the list, true. Uh,
0: the, the ten things he hated were just different Beatles songs that she sounded like. Yeah, it it, it reminded me of that. I mean, I enjoyed the composition of it. I like that um, the dramatic nature of like
1: that opening riff. <laughs> uh, I love yeah. the harmony in the chorus. Yeah. Too. yeah.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, this is quintessential early pop beatles but it's like it's got teeth this is like yeah this is them coming into their own sure and and this is like uh if i didn't listen to a hard day's night a lot when i was a kid Mm. this was one of the tracks that i remember sticking out yeah
4: who who sings on on this one versus the other one they're both mccartney they're both
1: the same yeah and you know i honestly just when i was picking because hard day's night was the one we were like oh i'm i'm not sure uh, and the big songs from this are Hard Day's Night and um, Can't Buy Me Love. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't a conscious choice necessarily to do two McCartney songs here. But I do like these kind of minor key yeah. um, dirges that he, he does here. And I think it's indicative of where they were heading in, in some ways. That sophistication and melody and uh, instrumentation. I, uh,
4: I know you didn't do it intentionally, but picking two songs that i don't think jp or i had heard before definitely not yeah. uh was an incredibly smart move because had you picked the two that you just mentioned we've heard those right? i've heard hard oh, yeah. days night. and, and I'm so not we, sure about we would have listened yeah. to this playlist can't and, buy me love oh you've oh, definitely sorry. Heard yeah you're right. Right. I've I've heard definitely. that yeah 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 <laughs> but uh, if you had put place those two on this list like beatles essentials <laughs> like we would have glossed right over them right because oh, we've heard this before what's next whereas i i think You know, I was able to spend more time with these because I hadn't heard them and I wanted to get some nuance out of it. And then going back, like I listened to Hard Day's Night quite a few times trying to get context for these songs to kind of hear where they fit in and notice like, oh, that's where these other songs were. And when they came up on that album, I actually got really excited because I was like, I've heard these before. (laughs) This is really cool. And there was like the sense of familiarity with the material, but also I was able to kind of hear it through a a different filter because I, I had been so closely intentionally listening to these songs. Mm -hmm. So something like basically hearing songs that I hadn't heard before unlocked something for me that I don't think would have been unlocked had like the old favorites been on the list. Sure. Sure. And I think we were,
3: um, we were a bit deliberate in that. I think when it came to this record, we were like we we don't need to put those on here. But there are there are other songs on this playlist where we said like we'd be wrong not to yeah. include these. No? Um, yeah, just
4: give it a little crank just to hint at what Tony's talking about. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> Here comes there the fun. Here comes the fun. Yeah.
4: Um, There's but, a couple of off notes. There. Yeah, yeah, it's a rough. Yeah, I don't think they could get the copyright on the music box for the melody, so I think <laughs> they change it yeah. slightly so that they're not infringing. There goes the yeah. moon. <laughs> Here's hot um, fresh buns.
3: And that was actually, I- I'm glad that you. Uh, so, so, so you listened to the whole album. I
4: listened to each one of these albums. Right, because so that was
3: wrong. that was gonna be my follow up question. Uh, That
4: was the goal. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I wanted it. I was like hungry for it after listening to this.
3: Did you, JP? Um, I didn't. Uh,
1: But he felt guilty for not
0: not because i wasn't hungry for it but only because uh, tony I've gave only... you a
1: ween playlist yeah and
0: i was too busy <laughs> i've been listening to this for about 2 weeks and the the time i could give it i just i just didn't have time sure. to listen mm-hmm. to the full album and like feel cuz i wanted to really uh, i you know i listened to these songs several times read the lyrics read information about them and the time period and stuff and so i was trying to i was very interested in in Experiencing it just the way you guys wanted, and then listening to the other songs sure. later. So yeah, I, I'm, no, I'm know, very interested in listening to them now.
3: That's but, fine. You know, I, I'm hearing you did uh, the bare minimum. Um, yeah, it speaks volumes to your character. I don't. That's I don't fine. <laughs> Here's it. I don't have. I
4: don't have a kid, and so I have boundless free time. Oh right. Yeah. I mean,
3: if I hadn't had to drive to Cape Cod just to pick up a piece of furniture and turn right back around, I definitely wouldn't have listened. Like I listened to like four Beatles records yeah. on that trip the other day, but. Um, yeah, exactly. Like we weren't expecting you to go above and beyond, but it's <laughs> but it is Steve cool that you did, and, and, you're and, it's, better. and it's great that you want to someday. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I'm just putting words in your mouth now, unless I do,
0: right. I do. Um, and uh, there was something too about I don't know why, like I I made it so precious, but up until about two weeks ago, I was like, I need to find the right time to like sit and consume these and like really listen to them. Sure, and then I finally. And actually, I think it was something you had said to me at one point, like a few weeks ago, where you're like, oh, because I said something about, like, oh, I didn't know something. And you're like, oh, write that down in a note. And I was like, oh, wow, right. Before I listen to this, I should be like ready to write notes and I should be ready to like get myself into the right mindset and oh. so it, it kind of screwed me up for and until finally I just said like I don't have time I need to just start listening to these and so I just started listening to them over and over and then eventually I sat down and took some notes and read about it and stuff
3: but- I, I apologize I did not mean to put additional pressure on you for me it was just I know that Matt and I have done episodes yeah Where afterwards I'm like, ah, shit, there's something that when I I watched that movie or read that book weeks ago, I I knew there was something I wanted and I just didn't write it down. so... Mm. I'm just
0: making this all up. I haven't even listened to it yet. I'm still nervous. (laughs) That was the first time you heard it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I really love the dramatic nature of that riff. Was that a guitar I missed? Did you play it again? (laughs) Uh,
1: Anything else to say about Hard Day's Night? No, no, it was great. All right, so the next record that we assigned was Revolver, and that came out in. August fifth of nineteen sixty six. This was their seventh record. Hmm. Um, Jeez, wait a minute. So oh,
4: wait. So the 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 last one was their third. Their third. Yeah.
0: And then two years later. Yeah. Four. It was they they their they were putting
1: out two records a year. What in the world? Yeah, dude. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing with my life? <laughs> I put out one
0: podcast every two weeks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> YCD <YCDDing> barely, <now. laughs> just barely. So, Revolver was the only record they put out um, in '66. It's fucking deadbeats. Yeah, and oh, they were right. touring. all they were off. also touring relentlessly. Yeah. The other thing to keep in mind is their first two records were recorded. Um, it might be they're just their first. I can't remember. Um, it was recorded in a day, so they just went into the studio and they knocked it all out in Jeez. like a few hours even the later ones, you know, they were didn't take as long. And then eventually the later records, they just lived in the studio. That was like their job. They'd wake up, they'd go to the studio, they'd work. they they weren't really touring, right? At that point? They stopped touring right after like, almost immediately after Revolver. They're just like, we don't want to do this anymore. Mm. This is, this doesn't interest us. And a lot of the things that they did on the Revolver, they couldn't replicate anyway. Mm. Um, Because they were starting to use the studio um, as a songwriting tool. And obviously, we haven't brought them up yet, but the he's often referred to as the fifth Beatle, which is George Martin, mm-hmm. and that was their producer. He did a lot of the string arrangements, but he was also the one that was kind of helping to guide them uh, and and to push them and 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 helping them with using the studio uh, as an an additional tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they just became more and more interested in in experimentation. Another thing that we should probably bring up. And I believe this was right before Rubber Soul, but they met Dylan, hmm. and they were really uh, enamored with him. And I think Dylan kind of saw them as a little too bubblegum. Hmm. Uh, and he, so this could be apocryphal, but you know, it, I guess the, as the story goes, Dylan is the one that introduced them to pop. Uh, So from that point on, they started taking things a bit more seriously, I guess. And that's when things started to change quite a bit. And you could hear a lot of that uh, in Revolver. There's a lot of experimentation, a Mm. lot. And these are still like pop songs, but there's so much weird stuff in the margins. The first song we chose for your playlist off this record was uh, Eleanor Rigby. Was it? Well, Uh... that's the actual order that it's in. Oh, mine was I'm only sleeping. I'm only sleeping. We'll do that then. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that was intentional. Great job,
0: Tony. Maybe.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that was me. No, it was me. JP, what'd you think?
0: Uh, this was the first time that I I perked up more. I think with the playlist, uh, the previous songs, like I said, I kind of expected them. I enjoyed them, like they were pleasing to listen to. But this one, just it had substance for me to it. It had layers to it. Um, uh, maybe I'm a simpleton sometimes, but when a song is has too few things going on, sometimes I feel less interested in it. And this one, the layering of the vocals, um, him focusing more on like the crash so there was like a little more of an atmosphere in the background of the music uh and then particularly which we didn't hear in the clip we just heard but as the uh what is it like a backwards lead guitar is that how yeah because they... mm-hmm. actually i didn't know that at first i was like i know this sound i've heard this sound before it's
4: called a line six pedal my friend
0: It it was driving. (laughs) Yeah, it's a big
4: green. It's a big green Vox. You turn it to reverse, and you just play. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think people were doing that a ton back then. So what they would,
0: what they had to do
1: is, um, they have to learn the solo in reverse. So they they would record it and then reverse it and then learn that and then play the reversed. And then they would reverse it. Because they were recording on all the tape. There's only four tracks. So everything was would be dumped down. Yeah. Um, so maybe
4: for you, it's as simple as just pushing down on a pedal, my friend. Yeah, you, go you have to turn it, the line six pedal. Yeah, it's a green pedal. You have to turn it to reverse. And then The click, green yeah, part then click is very button. important. Yeah, in in it's,
3: it's green. <laughs> yeah, don't oh, sorry, get the red green? line six. <laughs> Right, you oh, yeah. do not want oh, the red line playing, six or the blue Yeah. it's going to play your solo sideways, which opens your third eye.
4: It's 249 soul drains out of your stomach.
3: Are you a guitar center uh sales representative? What's going on here? I he was. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> yes, and I had
4: that pedal because I wanted to make that specific can I, can sound I in anything, that dude? song.
3: You need help, dude? Yeah. What are you looking for, dude? Hey man.
4: Hey, that can guitar that guitar on, man. sounds amazing when you play it. You should buy it.
1: Did I ever tell you that my my idea of hell would be going into guitar center? Like and never leaving. Just in general. Like that's hell. Going, going like in. I die, I'm clearly going to hell. <laughs> and when I get there, I just walk into a guitar center. It's like, hey, man, how's it going? Yeah. Can I get you anything? No, man, just looking around. All right, let me know if you need anything, man. And then there's like some dude playing like a bad Metallica solo yeah. in mm-hmm. the corner. He's trying to play Fade to Black. There's like four drummers <laughs> playing at the same time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some DJs yeah.
3: testing out the smoke machines in the back.
4: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I worked there for Your, two years.
3: You musician, man? That's <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm.
4: Listen to my ear. I want to be a musician. <laughs> That's usually what I would tell the customers is I wanted to be a musician because I did so badly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I knew nothing. I, I knew nothing about guitar when I started working at a Guitar Center. And I would literally, the, the only thing I would do is just listen to customers tell me about what they wanted to do and the music that they were making with genuine heartfelt interest. And they would buy stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we got off. I'm very important we that, that we that talk anyway, about the six album. That, six, that, uh, that uh,
4: the the effects on it, like the things that they started doing, as compared yeah. to the other two, they might have done some stuff on Hard Days Night that was more, you know, interesting in studio. But the, there's some real like ex, like more experimenting with music and using, you know, like you said, using the starting to use the studio as an instrument. Mm-hmm. You know that I think today, you know, when I go and I. Look to buy a new guitar pedal like What i'm buying is something that someone Had to spend hours figuring out how to do In a studio you know 50 60 years ago
1: um, So the big thing From this record That had lasting Effect on the the music Industry was um, This device that they called the adt Yes and this is the, So before this what they were Doing was they would double all Their vocals uh, so the ADT was a way for them to double it without them actually having to sing twice, because like John was just like, I don't want to, I don't want to fucking do this, you know. He was kind of put off by it, and mm-hmm. his performances would lack because he would just like he would get apathetic about it. So they kind of tasked the engineers to to devise this this system to help them basically plow through this thing that they didn't want to have to do. Hmm. And so the ADT was. Uh, a way for them to sort of record it onto a tape but not line up perfectly so you still get the same effect as doubling but it had you know the personality that you needed to in, in, in the quality that they were looking for mm.
3: and yeah. ADT of course stands for a doubling thingy <laughs> <laughs> yes a double time
4: what does ADT
3: stand for do, uh, do you let know? me see
4: yeah.
0: Uh, Advanced (laughs) defense technology. I'm gonna say automatic doubling technology. Uh, They're
3: the things that uh, the empire dropped on Hoth. Yeah,
0: ADT, ADTs. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that Lenin. uh, His laziness was the like impetus for him wanting to create this technology. Because I I looked, you know, one thing that I found out by doing some of this research. Sorry if you want to. No, no. Was that not only are they super influential? People love them. All this stuff. Wikipedia loves the Beatles as well. Yeah. Every single Beatles song has a tome dedicated to it, or most of them do, mm-hmm. and they, they get insanely detailed. And so yeah. I, I skimmed a few of them just out of interest. Uh, and this one re- referenced the fact that this song is about the fact that he just loved sleeping. And was physically a very lazy person. Yeah. Like he did not like moving. He did not like doing very much. He liked thinking and
3: watching and and singing and sleeping and doing drugs. Yeah. Didn't he famously spend a very long period of time in his bed, like in the seventies? Well, he... are you talking about like the sit-in they did,
1: where him and Yoko were in bed and they were playing? And... Oh, that's probably what I'm thinking of. Okay. Kind of like, <laughs> I just <laughs> well apparently like McCartney
0: had to like wake him up for music sessions because he, he just would just sleep mm-hmm. in between them. Like I, I don't
1: know, uh, ADT stands for artificial double tracking.
4: You were almost right, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> or automatic double tracking.
3: Or a doubling
1: thingy. <laughs>
4: or a doubling thingy. Mm-hmm.
1: There's this great story from George Martin where he talks about it. Uh, and 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 how it changed the industry. Do an accent. Don't read it if you're not No, doing an I I can't accent. do an accent. Oh, come on. Do you want
4: to do it? No. Do like a, do book? like an Australian accent or like a, like a I can't do any accent. Can you do like a Dutch accent? I'll try like one. Like Pennsylvania. You want to try it? Do a Midwestern. Do like a Midwestern <laughs> accent.
0: What,
1: what am I reading? Read this paragraph.
4: So
0: John, like the others,
1: oh shoot, <laughs> you're doing. You're supposed to be doing George Martin. Yeah, that, you, that was. Uh, I mean, it's, I it's good enough. It's good enough. I don't
0: know his voice, so I'm just doing. Do like okay. George
1: R.R. Martin. Just do R. R. Martin. a British accent. <laughs> it
3: Doesn't have to be Beatley. I'm never gonna finish it. And I like wolves. That's my George R.R. Martin. That's good. That's good. <laughs>
0: uh, shit! Now I can't do it. So John, like the others, <laughs> was very impressed with ADT. Now I'm New Zealand. Are sailing. you doing Australia? <laughs> He was no technical genius And made just one attempt to find out how it worked <laughs> I knew he'd never understand it Says George Martin So I said now listen It's very simple We take the original image And we spit it through a double vibricated splashing flange With double negative feedback He said You're pulling my leg ain't you I replied Well let's flange it and sit again and see huh? Come at me huh? He didn't say that part From that moment on Whenever he wanted ADT, he would ask for his voice to be flanged or call out for Ken's flanger. The Beatles' influence was so vast that the term flanging is still in use today, more than 20 years
3: on. Wow. I mean, that was borderline spinal yeah. tap. It got the job done. That was great. <laughs> Bravo, everyone.
0: <laughs> I think I changed like four times in the course
4: Appreciate of that, that. one that I I could paragraph. Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah, so that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah.
1: That's where the term flanger came from. Which is pretty fun, wow, right? Yeah, yes. wow. Um, but also with "I'm Only Sleeping," uh, they would change the speed at um, of his vocals, right. so it is like slightly uh, slower than it was oh, you know, okay. his actual voices. And they were doing that a lot, on, on, especially on the next few records.
4: I heard somewhere that they would like like slow down some of the solo, like they would pl- play them at like eighth speed. And then they'd speed it up because of the type of effect that mm-hmm. they got. Is, is that present on any of the songs in this list, like, later? Uh, or no? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, probably. <laughs> ah.
0: Were they were they doing drugs before this point, or is this when they really started to do yeah, drugs? Yeah, so it was around ra- <laughs> Rubber when, Soul. When did the drugs okay. happen? When because was Rubber I, Soul? Is that five?
1: <laughs> That's the record before this. Okay, so,
0: so that was six. Yeah. Because yeah. I felt, the moment I listened to it, I was like, hmm, I feel like some drugs just got involved. There, yeah, there yeah. are drugs in this film. Yeah,
4: yeah. I, I think I think I'm kind of with you on the like, huh, something interesting is starting to happen here with this band and this playlist that wasn't present before. And in addition, like three albums between those two Jeez. <laughs> kind of makes sense. Like you'd hope that there's something changed, that there's something different. But uh, this it's sort of it It feels like a, a maturity. But I did like reading through the lyrics. I was like, eh, eh. I don't know. Just, take that John Lennon.
3: Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, he's a the, sleepy boy. The delivery sells it, and the yeah. execution of the song yeah, is yeah. what makes it work. Well, like,
4: yeah, and that's that's the th- it's, it. Sounds and it feels, and it it is lyrically all in cohesion. Like it's all all uh, congruent.
3: Right. Like listening to, like the album opens with Taxman, and every time I hear it, I'm like, I wish they were singing about literally anything else. <laughs> it's such a stupid song. Just Batman. Like, it's Batman. Anyway, yeah. Batman. Yeah, but like it's, yeah, yeah the, this, the, the music is fun and great. And yeah, just, the lyrics just really keep me at an arm's length. I him. hadn't
4: heard Taxman either before yeah. this. And, yeah. and this, you know, going back to that album, because Matt had initially teased, like, hey, we think we're going to do Revolver. And so, like, I, I listened through Revolver and then shared my early thoughts with Matt, which was like, I hate how this album is mixed. Like, it literally. Oh, are you talking about the stereo version? Yeah, the stereo yeah. makes me feel like I have. But like that the came worst later
1: stereo. on because it was all in, initially in mono. Oh. yeah. See, so, like, if, if you bought this when it came out, it was it was in mono. So they stereo ruined it wasn't later. A thing. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I, I like know. it too. No, and I, I think if you listen to it, especially like in a in a room, like if you listen in a headphones, it's like, oh wow, this is. I'm not used to this mm. I think when you listen to it in a room it helps when there's so much stuff and they only had the four tracks it helps mm. with separation yep. mm. and you could he- you can really hear the parts like yep. it's crystal clear like oh wow like I can hear this whole solo the interesting thing is like there are different takes between the stereo and the mono mixes really yeah there's a few small mm. thing changes here huh. and there I honestly couldn't tell you like I'd, I'm not that obsessive I probably, I our friend and former guest Chris Knott could probably tell you. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, but uh, Wikipedia uh, yeah. could tell you. Wikipedia they have a whole section tell, yeah. on on, on sure. the different versions and how but, they made like, them. They also release like these massive um, retrospective remixed albums with all outtakes and B sides and stuff like that. And I I just picked up the Abbey Road one. And it's great because you hear like demo stuff of them chatting before. Yeah like they just hit record and like, okay, we're going to do this. And then we'll go into blah, 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 blah. It's, it's pretty fun to hear the process. Right. Yeah,
4: And I, I think too, like, you know, I know it wasn't intentional because you even thought that the playlist was in a different order, but <laughs> coming out of those first two kind of sleepy songs into this song, there was something kind of happening, you know, they were kind of like waking up and uh, I don't want to tease the next track too much, but then the next track came and it totally shifted for mm-hmm. me.
0: Eleanor Rigby, right? That's correct. Yeah, it could be on a different album for me in in terms of how different it is. Yeah, it could have been written in a different
4: galaxy. Eleanor Rigby? That that song is like, it's so, just felt so out of left field in a wonderful way.
1: Sure, let's play it.
3: So yeah, you were you were saying that this feels like it came from another universe. So why don't you keep talking about that?
4: Yeah, it, it, just compared to the, you know, sort of this, the sleeping songs ahead of it, right? Um, you know, sort of listening to the playlist, you know, the first song, it's like, oh, this is this is simple. And then the second song, it's kind of like, okay, we got a little bit of this, like Western guitar element, still that very minor feel. And then we start getting into like, oh, there's some drugs happening. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then Eleanor Rigby comes and it, 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 it feels like a a, I don't know just a push beyond what they were doing before right there's strings I hadn't heard strings yet in the playlist like we'd heard like these like right like those kinds of sounds and the jangly guitar but this was like it's there's something moving and there's motion and and there's there's this like momentum and push and pull that's happening in the song that I hadn't heard yet yeah it's from the
3: the scope of it is it's significantly larger
0: Yeah, and it feels in a in a good way, it feels longer than it is. Because the I one of like the it was like the fifth or sixth time I listened to it and I looked at the length and it was I think it was three minutes. Yeah. I was totally surprised. Yes. It felt like there was so much more happening and it went on for so much longer. Uh and maybe that's just because of the orchestration behind them or yeah, the the sense of movement in the song, despite there being no like traditional like rock instruments or anything yeah. in it.
1: I guess, uh, George Martin was inspired by Bernard Herrmann, who was a film composer. Uh-huh. uh and, you oh, okay. know, he those, did...
3: Those strings make sense then. Yeah. The Hans and, Zimmer of his time. Yes. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured that would have some reaction or something. Yeah.
1: Uh, look at all the lonely...
3: <laughs>
1: In particular, uh, it was a, uh, Truffaut's uh, adaptation of Fahrenheit, um... Four fifty one. Yeah, uh, that's what he's inspired by. But one of the the things that they did differently with this is they close miked the all of the the strings. Yeah, so you're not, which is right. not something that they had usually done. Is usually like you know put them all in a room. So, so what uh, does that mean? So that means like they were like mere inches away from their instrument which made there was a mic on each one yeah I, i'm not entirely sure but it did say that they were very uncomfortable so i'd oh, imagine wow. that maybe they yeah. did mic them all i mean again it was a four track so i'm sure it yeah. all went into a big mixer which sure. went down to like a track or two yeah. and then because what they do is they record on they'd always have their one track that they'd mix down to so they record four tracks mixed down to one then they'd have three tracks then they'd go down to one track and they'd keep doing it. So some of these songs have like, you know, so many layers and it's a testament to, you know, the engineers that they were able to get this specificity and you could hear all the details with such limited technology. Mm. So,
4: and that that close making techniques interesting too, because the closer you get to something, the less room Mm. you get in a recording. So, you know when i'm close to my microphone you just hear my voice but if i back away you can really hear the room the sound of the room when i'm talking mm. right so you know when you're when you're miking a violin like a lot of the sound that you expect to hear from a natural violin performance is the sound of the violin in a room and yeah this 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 technique totally makes sense now knowing that they did it that way and mm. hearing this it's just, this just like this tight moving like yeah, there's ah, I, I love this song yeah it's amazing it's yeah it's great I mean I
0: think like you said it's it is a little out, out of left field it felt like after the previous you know um the previous song but, but totally I it don't It has think, tempo
1: I totally I don't think it is <laughs> huh. you know I think it isn't in, in keeping with the songs that we played off of hard day's night mm, yeah. those are like McCartney wrote this so you can imagine a treatment of this that's similar to something off of hard day's night right it isn't that same vein it's just the instrumentation is different. They wanted to, you know, they were ex- exploratory. Again, they were just like, what can we do to make this different than what we were doing before?
3: Yeah. And, and this song was one of the instances where we were, we where Matt and I said to each other, like, we can't not include this. Because mm. again, this is one that we felt probably would have been familiar. Like, did I, were you two familiar with this song? I, I actually wasn't. No. You weren't. I only Didn't was because anything.
4: of the movie Yesterday that I saw <laughs> <laughs> recently. Matt,
3: <laughs> thoughts on Yesterday? Uh, it's bad. This okay. song was in that Let's movie. Let's move on. Wow. <laughs> Shutting it down.
4: <laughs> That's my um, my opinion of that movie is that this song was in that movie. It was interesting that it, it, it was more
0: like a narrative story versus yes. like their other lyrics that were just like more traditional lyrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, yeah. actually, I feel like, personally, I struggle more with traditional lyrics because I, like, want a story out of out of something that I don't have to, like, parse. Yeah, <laughs> this there's is... not a lot
3: of um, subtext or, uh, yeah. I mean, and this is one of McCartney's things or these stories, mm. these stories about people mm-hmm. often, um, you know, for better or worse. I mean, uh, other people in the band gave him shit for that, right? Uh, or, like, yeah. John, or John certainly, like, would get kind of tired of it.
1: John has a lyric in one of his solo on one of his solo records where he talks he makes fun of yesterday, which is one of the most popular songs of all time. Right. So yeah, 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 yeah. The next song we picked off of um Revolver is Tomorrow Never Knows.
4: Tony's on first. Who's up? Who's on first? You take this song. Yeah, so uh, I love this song. I think this is my, uh, out of all of them on this playlist, this is this is by far my favorite song. Um, it is, it's one, so uh, again, I kind of stumbled into this album kind of. So the first time I heard this song was actually on Mad Men and um, was, you know, just sort of back my mind, right? Never really went to go look for it after that, but it was just like, oh, that's, I like, I like that. And, um, and then Matt was like, we're gonna do Revolver. And so I listened to it, I was like, oh cool, that song's on here, I like this song. And then when this song showed up on the playlist, cause I didn't know the name of it, and you know, it starts playing, I'm like, fuck yeah. Yes, <laughs> I love this song. Um, and part of it for me is like, I love the band, The National, and they've got like the the, the drums that are and jp was talking about this earlier i think like you can look at a Beatles song and make a whole band out of uh, or a whole yeah basically a whole band and a whole whole music career and genre out of a a beat you hear or a part of a Mm -hmm. song you listen to and this drum beat is like uh, i don't know if their drummer was inspired by it but that like right like mistaken yeah. for, it's right like mistaken for strangers is like ripped right out of this playbook so th- this song endears me to the beatles in just a in an m- amazingly close way i love it i love it so much yeah i i, I mean
3: come on <laughs> yeah yeah no and i think, it sounds um, so new yeah it's so mm. weird
4: it's still yeah. and it's still it's good
0: still, yeah it's it's still sound like this could the song could come out today and I don't think anybody would think, "Wow, what a weird track that somebody must have written in the '60s." It right. feels like a modern song.
3: Yeah, I think too. Um, you know, for me, listening to this for the first time in a, a while, um, and sort of, I think when we approached this episode, I was probably in one of my, uh, you know, not in a, a Beatles peak, but a Beatles valley. It's been a while since I'd uh, played any of their music, and I, I knew they had psychedelic stuff, and assumed mm. that, you know, maybe they were just dipping their toe in, but like this is. This is a real psychedelic rock track it it, um, certainly caught me by surprise
0: I think the biggest surprise for me about it was that it could have been popular at the time yeah I was kind of like there there are aspects of the song that felt like they should have been so off-putting to people I mean they I I was wondering what that like seagull type sound was I guess that was the sound of Paul McCartney laughing I think and they had like sped it up super fast
1: so a lot of the those noises throughout the song are tape loops Right, so yeah, so they I don't. I'm loop. So you know, they would record everything's recorded on tape, hmm. and it's rewinding and speeding up and fast forwarding and all those things, or just playing them in reverse. But they were playing them like instruments, so they'd right. have the tape machines and they'd be, you know, miking them and whatnot, and and playing these loops. They played them live. Oh, in wow. order to do it, so they, oh right, right, Sorry. like in pieces, and they yeah. kind of chop things up. But it's still like remarkable how because the technology was so limited, obviously. Uh, another thing with this is like the drums sound drastically different on this uh, yes. than on on their previous recordings and the whole record in general too. And they were just trying new techniques and a lot of um, getting closer with the mics for the bass drum and dampening the bass drum to give it a little more presence, a little more kick and. Um, and Ringo was game for anything. So, but he's such a overlooked drummer because I think the great thing about Ringo is he always does what's needed. Hmm. You know, it's never overdoing things. And he's so sometimes they're they're so succinct and simple. Hmm. And and it's sort of like you were saying with the lyrics for um, I forgot which song. Um, the first song.
4: Uh, yeah, and I love, love her. her. And I love her.
1: Yeah. Um, that's kind of how he is as a drummer. Uh, it's always astonishing to me like the type of beats that he does
4: yeah he, he gets overlooked a lot
0: i mean it's easy to get overlooked in this group sure though, right the things uh, that they're doing well, well he's he's familiar? voted
4: as like one of the worst drummers in any yeah. band but, yeah, yeah,
0: that makes that, no sense it took me a long time to so like i i play drums or at least mm-hmm. i don't play them much anymore but it took me a long time to accept bands and i think this is probably the mindset of why people think ringo star is so unimportant or so bad yes, that there is definitely a place for a drummer to just oh, do the right thing right. in a song you know there are some drummers that are are extravagant in what they do and that's great and there's sometimes you hear them in a song and you're like this is the this is the perfect beat for this song and that's great too you don't have to be doing a ton of fills it doesn't have to be like this weird poly meter or anything and i definitely notice that about his music and also it, the progression over time because like on hard days night his drumming was so subdued most of the time, and and so low in the recording that you could almost like forget about it. In uh, like things we things we said today, it, you you could almost couldn't even hear him in it. And that was that was kind of disappointing to me. But yeah, he keep became much fuller sound on Revolver, and then continued to do interesting stuff later on.
3: Are are either of you familiar with? So in the I believe it was the first season of Saturday Night Live, Lorne Michaels goes on air uh, and offers because he knows. Uh, he doesn't know that they're there, but he, off- on live TV, offers the Beatles um, a whopping sum of $3,000 to come in and play songs on SNL. What, what was unknown was that Paul and John were actually hanging out and were like, should we do it? And, like, they're just like, we won't get there in time. And they just, and they didn't. But, like, it almost happened. And they had never gotten back together for anything.
6: Hi. I'm Lauren Michaels, the producer of Saturday Night. Right now we're being seen by approximately 22 million viewers. But please allow me, if I may, to address myself to four very special people. John, Paul, George, and Ringo, the Beatles. Lately there have been a lot of rumors to the effect that the four of you might be getting back together. That would be great. In my book, the Beatles are the best thing that ever happened to music. It goes even deeper than that. You're not just a musical group, you're a part of us. We grew up with you. It's for this reason that I'm inviting you to come on our show. (laughs) Now we've heard and read a lot about personality and legal conflicts that might prevent you guys from reuniting. That's something which is none of my business. You guys will have to handle that. But it's also been said that no one has yet to come up with enough money to satisfy you. Well, if it's money you want, there's no problem here. The National Broadcasting Company has authorized me to offer you a certified check for $3,000. <laughs> here it is. Can we can we uh, get a close-up of this, Dave? Which camera is it on? Ah. I moved in there. Now, here it is. As you can see, verifiably, it is a check made out to you, the Beatles, for $3,000. All you have to do is sing three Beatle tunes. She loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's $1,000 right there. You know the words? It'll be easy. Like I said, this is made out, this check here is made out to the Beatles. You divide it any way you want. You want to give Ringo less? That's up to you.
1: Oh, and the other big thing for this that um, the Beatles started using frequently was putting their vocals through a Leslie speaker. Uh, and then they would put everything through a Leslie speaker. So, if you don't know what a Leslie speaker is, um, the B3 Hammond organs used to have their own speakers um, where it was kind of like a rotating, um, you know, the cabinet at the top. Yeah. What's the term for the rotating speaker? Yeah, cabinet. I guess it's the, ro- yeah. yeah. Uh, so it'd spin around and then they put mics ar- uh, around it and then kind of capture it. So you get this like yep. So it was for the organ. That's how you get those great kind of organ songs, which will be coming up in our next song, I believe.
4: Oh, but that's exciting.
1: um, They so they with this song they started putting their vocals through it, and you can hear that. I believe it's like a minute into it, maybe Hmm. you can hear his voice do that weird kind of like almost like a tremolo kind of thing, kind of going in out. One of my favorite anecdotes um, from the the history of beatles in the studio was after john uh, had really he had really taken to this technique and he uh, he went to jeff emmerich who was their their main engineer at this point uh and he's like okay this is what i want you to do i want you to suspend me from the ceiling and then put microphones all around me and then spin me around what (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) and he Uh, was the first astronaut yeah, yeah, there you go. And John Lennon was the first astronaut. But they were just like, he. every once in a while, I'd come back and be like, you guys figure it out. I'm like, we're working on it, John. We're working on it. So great. Did Crazy. they ever actually do no. that? No. Okay. No. no. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh,
1: but they this kind of gives you a mindset of what they were doing at this time and what they continued to do after this. It was just like, oh, let's go record in, in, in the hallway. Let's go record in the stairwell. Let's go try this because no one was doing anything like that. Before this, you know, right? And they were the, the you know, the most popular band on the planet. Yep. Uh,
3: yeah. So I think uh, JP, you said you were surprised by how something like this could be popular. Yeah. And I guess uh, this might be a question you can answer, or maybe not, Matt. But um, you know, what what kind of came first? Was it because they were the Beatles? They could do mm-hmm. anything they wanted, and then they did this, and then that. Inspired other record labels to be like, "Ooh, let's find more of that sound." Or was that sound happening already?
1: I think so. I think everyone was kind of doing it. Yeah, you know, uh, there's. Well,
3: a... I, I mean, everyone may have been doing it, but because maybe the Beatles were doing it, maybe that made it something that uh, that opened the door for it to become more widely popular. Does you, do you understand what I'm trying to get at?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, I don't. I I don't.
3: Or it was just all in the air anyway. It was. Yeah, it was I think so. Because,
1: like, going. there is that kind of uh, another famous anecdote where I believe the Beach Boys put out pet sounds. And then when Brian Wilson heard Sergeant Pepper, he's like, oh, fuck, I give up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stop writing music. Yeah. Uh, so, well, he didn't, but he kind of lost his mind um, shortly after that. But that's I'm a right. whole other story. But uh, <laughs> not because of Sergeant Pepper, but, you know. Um, I do think they were all kind of... I think it was a point in time where all these people were competing against each other. They were all hanging out. Mm. Like, mm. Jagger would show up. Keith Richards would show up. Well, Jagger it, was on one of the later tracks, right?
3: I only ask because my timeline gets fuzzy. So it, yeah, mm. I
1: think... Because, like, you know, there's certain things and there's some songs later on that I'm like, oh, this has to be the first instance of, instance of this. So I kind of do searches for things that I thought were similar and in roughly the same time period. Yeah. Roughly meaning... Months, Meaning they were probably working on it concurrently. Sure. So it's not mm. necessarily they could be informing each other. So it could have been something
4: in the air. Ah, yeah.
1: I mean, I hate that term for this because, you know.
4: No, but there is like there is a zeitgeist. Like there, there sure. is like a cultural thing that's happening. That's, you know, you even hinted to it earlier. It's like, is, is the thing happening to the Beatles or is it the Beatles that happened to the thing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they lived in the studio. So I think that's, like, it became a day job, and, like, they liked their day job. Yeah. Um, they increasingly started working independently of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe Sergeant Pepper and and maybe bits of Magical Mystery Tour, they were still coexisting. And then from that point on, like, there's stuff on Abbey Road where it's all Paul. Like, mm-hmm. he plays everything. Right. It, they became a lot more fractured by the end, you know. Sure. So,
3: well, speaking of Abbey Road, do we... Well, we
1: cool. haven't done Magical Mystery Tour. Yeah, we got oh, two shit jump for magical the Magical yeah. Mystery
3: Tour. I uh, jump the gun. Jumping <laughs> the gun. Yeah.
1: Hey everyone, Matt here. We went a bit long on our Beatles episode, as you could probably tell. Um, So we split it up into two parts. So please tune in next week, and we're going to continue talking about the Beatles. In particular, we'll be discussing the album's Magical Mystery Tour and Abbey Road. Um, So yeah, tune in to find out whether or not Steve is now a lifelong Beatles fan, or what JP's favorite song is, and whether or not Tony survived the episode. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, and uh, we'll see you next time.
3: Thank you for listening to What Did We Miss? If you want to catch up on previous episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at What Did We Miss? And if you want to drop us a line, our email is WhatDidWeMissPod at gmail.com. And thanks as always to the What Cheer Writers Club in downtown Providence. For more information, you can go to their website at whatcheerclub.org or follow them on Twitter and Instagram at What Club.